0: WABC.
1: It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: Here's the Globe's editor in chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, The New Jersey legislature heads into their final session on monday it's the time between election day and the swearing in of its new members it's called lame duck because it involves the votes of 18 lawmakers who are leaving office on tuesday uh, so there's a, a lot going on it's going to be a, a jam packed day on on monday uh, new jersey is seeking to codify Roe v. Wade into law. That's in the event that the U.S. Supreme Court overturns the 1973 decision. Legislators trying to expand some gun laws. There's a bill up to count uh, early votes early, so that it doesn't take weeks to find out who won the election. On Tuesday, when the new legislature is sworn in at noon, Nicholas Scutari will become the new Senate president. He is replacing Steve Sweeney. Sweeney's the longest-serving Senate president in New Jersey history, and he lost his own Senate seat in the November general election. That is going to create a monumental shift in the New Jersey legislature. Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin will be sworn in on, on Tuesday for his third term as speaker. That will make him the longest-serving Democratic speaker in New Jersey history. And in two years, uh, when he completes this term, he will tie the record for the longest-serving speaker in either party. Speaker Coughlin is going to join me right here on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour to talk about his plans for the next legislative session. That's coming up around 4:18. so please don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss what Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin has to say. And and wait, there's more. Later, I will speak with Isaac Avalusea. He is a reporter for the Trentonian in New Jersey's capital city. And we're going to talk about the Trenton City Council. And if, if that doesn't interest you, it should, because uh, this city council wins the race for the most dysfunctional local governing body in the state. They win that in a landslide. And the stories that Isaac has been writing about the city clerk and about the council, they are going to blow you away. And after Isaac, I'll be joined uh, by Republican strategist Art Gallagher to talk about what New Jersey's going to look like politically in 2022. Art is one of my favorite people, and he always gives – his honest take on what's happening. Uh, this is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. Republicans need to pick up five seats to win control of the U.S. House of Representatives. And and this election will decide whether Nancy Pelosi remains a speaker or whether uh, it is someone else, namely a Republican. And that's why races for Congress in New Jersey are mightily important Uh, that's why people are fixated on redistricting and how a new map might affect which party controls the house next year Uh, let me sum up for you what's happened over the last two weeks Uh, three days before christmas the Court appointed tiebreaker on congressional redistricting had a pick between maps drawn by each party. The tiebreaker was John Wallace, a former state Supreme Court Justice. He was recommended by the Democrats. Wallace picked the Democratic map, a map that gives Republicans a a better shot at taking out Congressman Tom Malinowski in the Seventh District, but it also improves the chances for reelection of three other House Democrats: Andy Kim, Josh Gottheimer, and Mikey Sherrill. And it's not Wallace's potentially partisan decision that's causing a, uh, a, a legal challenge to his pick. Uh, I mean, that's that's how redistricting typically works: one party wins and the other party doesn't. But The things that people are talking about uh, is what Wallace said in his public comments, his reasoning for choosing the Democratic map. And I'm going to play a clip. I played it before. I think I'm going to keep on playing it. Uh, uh, This is a clip. You can hear Justice Wallace's words directly from John Wallace. In summary, both delegations aptly apply our standards to their map. In the end, I decided to vote for the Democratic map simply because in the last redistricting
0: map, was it was drawn by the Republicans. Thus, I conclude the fairness
2: dictates that the Democrats had the opportunity to have their map used for this next redistricting cycle. So You know, no matter how many times I hear this clip, I, I still can't believe that this Harvard-educated, retired, New Jersey Supreme Court Justice would actually say it. I mean, you know, even if that was really his reason, I can't believe he actually said it. And the Supreme Court's job—the uh, one that they gave to their their former colleague John Wallace—was to pick a tiebreaker. And that comes with, at least in 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 my view, some assumption that this would be a relatively independent arbiter. Uh, Republicans have now gone to court. They are challenging. Justice Wallace's uh decision uh, basically they're saying that even Stephen isn't law. That's not how you draw a map to say well one party one last time so it's the next party's turn this time around. Uh now get this. Chief Justice Stewart Rabner this week ordered Wallace to amplify his reasons. Uh the court is essentially saying hey buddy saying you pick the Democratic map just because the Republicans won last time, that doesn't cut it for us. So the chief justice is giving Wallace a fourth out. He's giving Wallace a chance to come up retroactively with better reasons for voting for the map than the ones he used before he voted for the map. And, And welcome to New Jersey, everybody, where the state, Constitution is sometimes fungible uh, for convenience, especially when nobody really wants to hurt the feelings of a, of a 79-year-old former Supreme Court justice who, uh, and, and this is what I've learned from Democrats and from Republicans, uh, a 79-year-old guy who basically lacked proficiency in New G- Jersey geography. I mean, Wallace, and this is, this is what I'm told, uh, and by both sides, he didn't know where some of the counties were. He didn't know much about the voting habits of municipalities in the state. He had practically no technology skills Uh, in, in almost every way it is, it is fair to say that John Wallace was just a bad fit to decide the fate of congressional districts over the next decade. That doesn't mean he's a bad person. That doesn't mean there was anything evil going on. Just means this may not have been the right thing for him. And as a result of the New Jersey Globes reporting, Republicans have now amended their lawsuit to say that Wallace had the appearance of a conflict of interest and shouldn't have taken the job in the first place. We, I spoke about this on last week's New Jersey Globe Power Hour when I was speaking with Micah Rasmussen of Ryder University. Uh, we talked about the former Justice's wife contributing to Democratic House members and and get this to a federal pact called Stop Republicans. And, and it wasn't a long time ago. It was this cycle. Uh, but more alarming, at least at least to the Republicans are the donors to her own campaigns for mayor. Uh, when Wallace's wife ran for mayor of of Washington Township in Gloucester County about a decade ago, uh, nearly all the money she raised it was about hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It came from Democratic office holders and labor unions connected to the South Jersey Democratic organization. So now Republicans are crying foul. Uh, Dem- they have filed a lawsuit. They're 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 seeking uh, some adjustment. Uh, and Democrats have called the Republican lawsuit frivolous. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, although anybody who's in New Jersey politics, uh, uh, we, we all practice law without licenses from time to time. But I don't think the Republicans are going to win this. I think they're trying to make a point. I think they're trying to take their claim to to not be treated uh, the same way in legislative redistricting, which to uh, all politics is local. So so that is exponentially uh, more important when it comes to legislative redistricting. That's going to happen uh, uh, in the very near future. Uh, I don't think the Supreme Court's going to go out of its way to embarrass a former justice any more than they have to. But maybe there'll be some some lessons learned about how maps need to be drawn in the future. Uh, I will be right back with one of the most influential people in state government. Uh, his name is Craig Coughlin. He is the Speaker of the New Jersey State Assembly. That is a, a, just an enormously important position. And I'm going to ask the Speaker about his plans for the next legislative session. You are not going to want to miss what he has to say. Uh, And after that, I'll speak with Trentonian reporter Isaac Avalusea about the city of Trenton, the most dysfunctional city council in the entire state of New Jersey, and with Republican strategist Art Gallagher, one of the smartest guys uh, in the Garden State. So so don't miss any of that. We'll be right back. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Uh, Craig Coughlin is now finishing his fourth year as Speaker of the New Jersey State Assembly. After he takes the oath of office Tuesday, he will become the longest-serving Democratic Speaker in New Jersey history. Mr. Speaker, welcome, and Happy New Year. Yeah, well, thank you, David. Uh, happy New Year to you as well. Thank you, and thank you for, for, for coming back on again. Uh Mr. Oh, speaker, pleasure. In December, some Assembly Republicans protested a a new policy. It required them to show proof of vaccination before they can enter the Assembly chambers. They say they had a constitutional right to be on the floor. Uh, It seems you've worked out a compromise for 2022. What's happening there?
3: Well, first of all, the the, the statement isn't accurate. What they would have needed to to get onto the floor uh, was either a vaccination form or a negative COVID test, because the policy was designed to make sure that all of the uh, potentially hundreds of people that were in the chamber were protected, David. That was the goal of this policy, which was it gave people options, allowed them uh, the way to come in. Um, And uh, if people weren't able to do that, say they had a negative uh, or a positive test, they were able to join by phone, which, in fact, many of uh, my colleagues did. So they weren't denied. Any right to participate in the voting structure we've we passed a bill back at the beginning of the pandemic to allow members to vote by uh by phone and that's what we did throughout the early stages into the uh you know, later stages of the uh, of the pandemic so they, their participation was in no way limited and was completely consistent with what we've done now
2: and i sp- policy- stuck with you mr speaker for that whole session i was you know i, I think it was twelve fifteen in the morning before it was, it was before you adjourned one.
3: it was a long one uh but you know what we did we got everything done and i think that's most in, in, important right that's that's our job as government it it can be challenging to have so many people on the phone roll call we have 80 members right the roll call can take a long time depending on how many people are there um so it's not really a compromise so much at, going forward is a recognition of what is going to have to be an evolving policy david i mean we all recognize that the, the Pandemic takes us in different ways, right? When we created the policy, we weren't counting on a new surge of a new variant uh, that we've been experiencing, and so right now, I think the best way, because this has always been at the essence of what this policy is about, the best way to protect uh, the members in the in the uh, in the chamber and, and the staff uh, who come to work there because they don't have a choice, right, they're, they're doing their job, um, is to have a negative test. I think it's the most immediate way we can say, uh, look, folks, you have some level of, of comfort that the people here uh, are going to be uh, not uh, infected with the COVID. So, um, and that would also, by the way, comply with the earlier policy. As I said, you could have had a negative test. In fact, we had on site testing center. We had a testing tent right there both the last time and we'll have it again this time. So we have we've, we've we've worked through the challenges I trust of of having everybody there and I'm looking forward to a you know fruitful disc- uh, session and then you know uh, discussion on the floor about issues that are
2: important to New Jersey. And Mr. Speaker it's, and there's there's no doubt the Republicans are going to be more aggressively partisan this year more more ideological uh, at least I, I i've gotten that impression what's what's your plan to accept these this this more vocal more partisan minority in the assembly over the next over the next twelve months
3: well i, I think you're right i think uh, that that's true we 're going to see a, a more uh, robust uh, Involvement, perhaps, than we have from the Republicans in the past. Um, look, I, I welcome debate on issues. That's what we are. We're a deliberative body. That's what a legislature does. And I'm, I welcome the, uh, the opportunity to work with my colleagues on, uh, in the minority party. Uh, where I can to try and do what's best for the people of New Jersey. And I know that may sound cliched, but the truth of the matter is, is I think that's what people in New Jersey really want us to do. Right. Um, there were some messages that came out of the, uh, the of the last election. And I think you know, those said, hey, pay attention to us. Make sure that we understand what you're doing for us. and and get back to the kitchen table issues. And so I think in that regard, there offers an opportunity um, to to do some very productive things. You know, John DeMeo will be the new leader of the Republican Party. John Bramick's moving on to the Senate. Uh, John and I have known each other since we sat a couple seats apart from each other uh, our first year in the uh, the legislature. So we have a good history of of getting along together. And, and look, I'm going to try to build on that. But the, the, the truth is, David, we still have a strong majority on the Democratic side, and we're going to have uh, as robust a discussion as we may have, we're going to be able to do what uh, what got us reelected to the majority, and that is stand up for strong
2: Democratic uh, principles. And I'm speaking with Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin. Mr. Speaker, some some people and I hear this I hear this from Democrats frequently. They said one of the messages of the last election was was maybe New Jersey. Uh, ought to be governed more from the center than it had been over the last four years. Is that is that fair?
3: Well, I, I think uh, that is certainly one of the the things that we need to to look at. Are have we uh, are we in in the right place? But I, I think the truth of the matter is, David, that we have largely governed in places that are important to working middle class New Jerseyans, and that's you know we have had any number of tax reductions. I don't. I think they gotten lost in in the. the in some debate, and they've gotten lost to the to the pandemic. You know, in terms of understanding where we 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 expanded uh, uh, things like uh, the homestead rebate, or uh, we fully funded the homestead rebate, or uh, senior freeze, and we've given we've invested hundreds of millions of dollars, to, or a hundred million dollars, in the in a kind of college loan program that's designed. To help take the burden off taxpayers, expanded retirement income. So we've done a lot of things that I think are really important to, to New Jerseyans, um, and and so uh, I, I think maybe one of the things we have to do is make sure they understand uh, where we're sticking up for.
2: And uh, Mr. Speaker, I mean you, Tuesday you will you know, when you, you you will presumably take the oath as the I guess you never call an election until the vote's actually that, done. That's but, exactly right. right? But it, right, it, right, it you, 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 you never know. But 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 I, nobody's running against you, so I like your chances. Uh, so so you're going to become speaker. This is going to be your third term. You're going to you're going to I think pass Alan Karcher's record also from from your district. Uh, uh, what will what will your third term as speaker look like? What can New Jerseyans expect out of the New Jersey State Assembly over the next two years?
3: Well, just for the record, uh, my, my friend Jack Collins, who was a Republican, uh, was a three-term uh, Assembly person, uh, right. Assembly Speaker, I should say. And I um, said that at the beginning of the show. You need to go oh, two there.
2: years in order to to tie his record. Yeah. But yeah, but, you're, right. but you're but you're going to as as Democrats go on Tuesday, you're the you're yes, the I'll, I'll, the, I'll be the longest serving Democrat. Yeah.
3: So look, I think th- they were going to focus on those kitchen table issues that we that I mentioned earlier. Things. I think we have to. There are some things that are really going to be at the essence of what we have to, to to do to get things done. We have you know we have have the the good fortune of having uh, a, a $3.5 billion or almost $3.5 billion left in the American Rescue Plan funds. We're going to make sure we spend those in the right way. And I'd like to see us spend them on transformative kind of uh, projects so we can look back 10 years and say, hey, that's what we did and point to something really meaningful. I think we need to help boost up our Uh, our small businesses, because we all know that they're the backbone of so many communities and our largest employers. And they face challenges not just because of the pandemic, but because of the way people go about uh, buying these days, right? Uh, 20 years ago, when I was Christmas shopping, I went to the mall or to the small stores around here. Nowadays, I have a choice between the mall uh, or buying online, and many, many people are buying online. So we need to be mindful of how, how that happens. I think... The pandemic has laid bare something we knew and something that has always been important to me. And you were kind enough to have me on to talk about it earlier. Was was hunger? You know, we had made great strides here in New Jersey at, at fighting food insecurity. I think we need to get. We 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 have worked hard to weather the storm. Now we need to con- take in, continue to move forward and make the next best step. Uh, I hope uh, someday we could eliminate. I doubt will there ever be a day when no one in New Jersey is hungry, but we sure as hell can try. Uh, to get there. And I think um, I, I worry about homelessness. So many people were, who applied for unemployment, you know, the moratorium's going away, where are they going to be able to live? I think as a nation, well, as a state, I mean, I have, you know, the, the nation can take care of itself. But, I mean, as a, 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 if we're a great state, we have to do some things that even that rise above a, a governmental obligation, things like hunger, things like homelessness, we have to do it. And one of the things that we're seeing uh, all over uh, new jersey or the challenges the mental health challenges that we we face because so many people have been affected by the pandemic and especially especially our children uh, you know students who have watched their friends and family get sick who have you know don't, may not quite understand the, the nature of this so i think those kind of essential um, kitchen table issues because most of us know uh, somebody who has lost their job and who may be uh, food insecure, or face the challenge of scraping by to get the rent. I mean, we have to we have to work to get those things in place, and then move forward. And we've done some things to put New Jersey in a better place. You know, the, uh, our our incentive program is is starting to pay dividends, uh, particularly in the area of films. Um, but we'll so we'll be prepared to move forward. But those kind of es- essential th- things that serve the people of New Jersey—that's we, where we're going to start to focus on. <laughs>
2: And Mr. Speaker, you, t- you talked about the the American Rescue Funds. Is there a is there going to be a plan this year or next year to pay down some of the uh, uh, pay back some of the money the state borrowed uh, well,
3: we, to deal with the pandemic? I'm we, we, oh, sorry, David. I mean, I step over the line. Um, step over the question. The uh, we, you know we've had we've we've committed billions of dollars to the defeasement fund, and so we'll we'll work to manage that and and to look uh, at ways to spend the money and you know, mind being mindful of borrowing, and, and see what we can do in terms of paying things back, yeah.
2: And I'm speaking with uh, Craig Coffin, the Speaker of the New Jersey State Assembly. Mr. Speaker, Governor Murphy, uh, a week from Tuesday, will, will take his own oath. He's going to give a State of the State address uh, next week. Uh, w- what advice do you have for Governor Murphy as to what he should be saying, uh, both in his State of the State and in his second inaugural address? Um, well, I think he should agree with me.
3: Now, um, seriously, uh, look. Uh, Governor Murphy has been very successful. Right, first Democrat in 44 years to get reelected, uh, has led us masterfully through the pandemic. Has made incredibly hard decisions. Has positioned us uh, well in terms of our economics to go forward. Uh, doing that, and I, 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 I know uh, that uh, we will uh, work hard together to to move those kind of things that I, that I talked about before. Things that are essential uh, to New Jerseyans, And I think that's where he ought to, he ought to go. And and,
2: I think he will. And Mr. Speaker, I mean, we, we, we talk about, you know, we, we talk about the, the governor, the governor is, is now going to, he's been reelected. He's going to be in his, his last term. Every short list I hear, uh, for the democratic nomination for governor in 2025 includes the name of Craig Coughlin or, are, are are you ready to make some news today? <laughs> I know it's not I know it's not a state plumber's convention but maybe you can <laughs> make an announcement
3: Look I, and I, I mean this sincerely it, is, it will be remarkably flattering to be uh reelected to serve my colleagues for a third term uh, as you as we have just talked about there are an awful lot of real challenges that New Jersey faces in the coming months that's where I'm focused right now
2: and, well, I have to ask
3: focus. Then,
2: I, I understand, and Mr. Speaker. I, I know. I know you're a sports fan. I yeah. am. So, so I do have. I have a question to ask you, and and, okay. and it, you know, it involves a, it just involves a personal recollection. I remember 37 okay. years ago this year, uh, the person who wanted your job to be Assembly Speaker sent me to your old hometown, South Amboy. Okay. And and my marching orders were to recruit a man named Allie Clark. Yes. Yeah. To run for the state assembly, a New York Yankees pitcher yeah. from the 1940s played for a World Championship team. I, I walked away with an autographed baseball and a hard no <laughs> on on running for the state assembly. I, I know I know you knew him or, or knew of him. Would Would Ali Clark have won that race? Uh, Thirty-seven years ago. Who? Uh, let's see. When this was that? 1985. This was the oh, Kane 85. landslide year.
3: Well, yeah, I, I, I suspect he probably would have won that race. You know, he was a—he—I I did get to meet uh, Al, I Had a great privilege of serving on the South Amboy City Council right. uh, a long time ago, uh, back in '86 and through '92. And uh, he. But they didn't with, send me to recruit you, I guess. But. Well, I was have. Yeah. Maybe that was a mistake. Yeah. Aisle, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I would have won. Um, the um, but but yeah he was you know he was a, he was he had celebrity in South Amboy he he was he I mean having played in the he played with uh, Mickey Mantle and you know uh, he was he was a, a, a you know he had a, a good personality an outsized personality he would have been a very formidable challenger
2: and him. and I, I know and I'm getting I'm, I'm getting to be a sports junkie here but those were the days before ballplayers made enough money to. Uh, retire for the rest of their sure, lives so yeah, so right. after he left baseball he went and he became a member of the iron workers union i think it was 373 and well, that was well, the his reason day they job used to
3: have spring training was to get the guys in shape because they had all gone back to their the regular jobs after yeah, right. the season ended right so they needed spring training now they, the fellow the players are lucky enough to have their own gyms and probably their own batting cages and pitching mounds and all that kind of stuff in their so, house
2: so. Sort of like the state assembly after a recess. You've got to get Whoa, everybody well okay. in shape to come back.
3: We, we always tell the new members, and there will be 16 of them on Tuesday, that there's a pool and a gym, and we're just teasing them.
2: <laughs> well, Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin, thank you so much for joining me. It's It's always a pleasure to speak with you.
3: Thank you, David. Mine, too. Have a good day.
2: Thank you. You, too. And I will be right back with Isaac Avalusea, reporter for the Trentonian. So please don't go away. You're not going to want to miss what he has to say. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talk
1: Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and I am speaking with Isaac Avalusea. He is probably the best local uh, news reporter in the state in terms of of covering city governments. He has a laser focus on on New Jersey's capital city. Isaac, welcome. Dave, thanks for having me again, once again. No, thank you. And it it is always a pleasure. Earlier in the show, I said that Trent, the Trenton City Council, in my view, was the most dysfunctional city council in the entire state. Is that is that fair? Well, you know, speaking of the laser focus,
0: I, I focus a lot on Trenton City government. I I, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm not going to put myself out there on the ledge like you. I'll let you do that and make, uh, uh, you know, uh, pontificate and stuff like that. But I, I think that any time that you see great dysfunction, that you see great trauma. And I think that that's the case in Trenton. And you don't have to look back that far in history to see what I'm talking about. I know Mayor Reed Gassara likes to talk about the lean, mean uh, Governor Chris Christie years and, and how much the tens of millions of dollars that Trenton lost in state aid that really had a ripple effect on on Trenton, and, and you see some of those ramifications now, right? You, you saw during the Tony Mack years the hundred or so police officers that were laid off, and you see the ripple effect now. You, you had two back to back years that Trenton experienced record breaking, and then again this year, record tying homicides at 40 apiece. We, we've had 80 homicides in the last two years under under Reid Gashore
2: and and you know I, I look at this i mean you know mayor gushore has has certainly had his his challenges in dealing with this council and i'm 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 looking at you know last couple of years of i mean racist statements and anti semitic statements i mean one 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 guy you know i mean talked to me and and and- t- talked about jewing people down when i when i spoke to him homo i mean you know rampant homophobic homophobic- uh rants by by city council members i mean how much how much responsibility here is is the city council in terms of of what's going on there oh i think it's fair to apportion blame a large slice of blame to them as
0: well i mean uh you know you have a parade of horribles uh in in city government and that's from the administration to the legislative body and everyone in between everyone has some culpability in this, and I think that when you have a legislative body that collectively has acted in obstinate ways, you're not going to see the, the the progress, and and, the, and you're not going to see some of these initiatives come to fruition that the administration ha- has uh, really pushed. And you know, it, it's a shame, Dave, because just to you know give you an example, we're really more similar as a human species than we are different. There's 3 billion genetic building blocks, and a sliver of those compose our unique differences. So we're really talking about 99.9% genetic similarity between you and I and everyone else in this world. So we're talking about 0.1% uh, difference between a Kathy McBride, a Reed Gashura, a David Wildstein, an Isaac Avelucea, And really what you see in Trenton is that these infinitesimal differences that these individuals have are being misperceived and misrepresented as an infinite gulf. And I I really think that that dynamic is really coming to bear in the uh, relationship between the mayor and council. They're really hyper fixated on their differences and they're not focused enough on their similarities. And I think that that is a example and a microcosm of what you see in Trenton and really what you see in politics and in life
2: uh, generally nationally. And I'm speaking with Isaac Avaluse, a reporter for the Trentonian. I've been reading lots of your stories about a, a guy named Matthew Conlon, the, the – municipal clerk tell me t- t- tell everybody about about him what's going on there because this this just seems to be news story after news story after news story Dave are you there or did I lose you yeah I hit you have me Do you, did you hear my question uh, yeah, I think you you okay. wanted to talk about Matthew Conlon and yeah, yes, so time you got. Uh, <laughs> well, to take 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 a minute or two and, and just just give us the pre, you know the sort of an overview from 30,000 feet of of what is going on with Matthew Conlon.
0: So, it's kind of interesting because Matthew Conlon likes to pass himself off as a victim and it, to an extent that he is a victim, he's a victim of his own creating. We have a clerk who came into the city of Trenton in August 2020 and within uh, a month or so was making uh, grabbing headlines, right, with some of his wild antics. And uh, they've really dominated. So like what?
2: Give me me an example of of something because not everybody everybody has followed this as closely as you and I have. Yeah, no, and and I'm kind of on autopilot with the guy. But
0: we're talking about stuff like uh, calling the FBI to report allegations of wiretapping on a council meeting. We're talking about having – uh, feud after feud after feud with city officials, with uh, media members. Uh, you know, on a, it's nothing personal with me ever because I cover everyone uh, indiscriminately, and uh, you know, fair is fair. I agree with that. But Ms. Mr. Conlin has tried to personalize his feud with me. He he actually went and uh, made a police report to Trenton police about me for simply doing my job and calling him in due diligence to. Uh, ask him for comment on a story that I was writing about a law firm investigating whether he had the credentials that he had claimed that he had on his uh, on his resume that he had uh, went, attended law school, which we were able to verify, and that later that he passed the bar in the year that he he said and I, you know I was researching that because I looked worth uh, ten years' worth of records uh, to see if he p- appeared on any of the successful bar candidate lists, lists in the state of New Jersey, and I could not find him anywhere. And rather than kind of clarifying the issue and maybe showing some proof and just uh, smothering the issue, he has uh, turned himself into a victim and amplified the megaphone. Yeah, I, I, I find it interesting. We always run that picture of him with a megaphone, and that's him. He's a, He's almost like a carnival barker in Trenton and almost like – uh, a cartoonish example of the shenanigans that are going on in Trenton City Government. So why doesn't the City Council that, just toss the guy out? Why don't they just just throw him out and fire him? Uh, it's a good, valid question, and we'll see what they do after this latest law firm finding uh, found substantial, and that those are their words, the Maley Law Givens firms, substantial evidence that Mr. Conlin has sexually harassed subordinate women in his office that he has created a toxic work environment. Uh, the guy should be on his last legs, but for some reason he has more legs to run with. And and I really think you've got to look at council leadership because I think at this point there is a uh, majority faction of council that might be willing to pull the trigger and get rid of this uh, clerk in, in light of these recent findings. But you really have Kathy McBride and, to an ex- to a lesser extent, Miss uh, Caldwell Wilson, who appear to be backing this individual and really enabling some of his uh, uh,
2: deplorable behavior, for lack of a better term. So, so they have something coming up in 2022 in, in Trenton it, um, called an election. Everybody's up—the mayor, the entire city council. Uh, it, it's they, they moved it from May to November. So, so what's going to happen? What are the people in Trenton? Feeling when they read when 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 you talk to regular voters, what do you think they're going to do?
0: I I I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks that maybe they'll clean house because you just get to a level of toxicity and vitriol where divorce is the only definitive solution to kind of cleaning and wiping the slate clean and starting anew. It almost seems like the relationship between the mayor and the council is so flawed that unless there is a new slate of individuals in that council position that might enable the administration to get some of its initiatives passed in the coming years, that everyone has to go. Yeah, and gonna, I think that this you is might be one heck that. of an
2: election, I think.
0: You might see that from, from from voters that they just get so tired of the back and forth bickering and and being plunged into the national headlines over the very examples you're talking about—the homophobic rants, the anti-Semitic rants, the non-stop shenanigans—that you just say, "Cut bait.
2: We are done with you, and we're going to start anew." Well, I'm speaking with Isaac Avilucea. He is a reporter for the Trentonian. Isaac, I I I genuinely worry about local journalism in New Jersey, and 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 how. How little some of the newspaper chains are are covering uh, the nitty gritty of what's happening in in local government. So so thank you for everything you do because you are doing it exactly the right way. And I wish I wish every newspaper in the state followed the Trentonians role in this. Thank you, Dave. I, I appreciate it. it. Has always been on with you, and uh,
0: I'm glad that uh, you you do the same thing. Right? You uh, provide those same uh, uh, areas of coverage in, in the in the gaps that exist in that industry so i want
2: to give you some credit as well well thank you so much and and hopefully you'll you'll be back to you know as this election gets underway because it's a hugely important election for new jersey we'll be here to cover it thank you thank you and i will be right back with republican political consultant art gallagher you're going to want to hear what he has to say about what's going on in new jersey this is david wildstein and you're listening to the new jersey globe power hour on talk radio 77 wabc
1: Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Art Gallagher is a political consultant, Republican strategist, one of the smartest people in New Jersey politics. Art, welcome and Happy New Year to you.
1: David, Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour.
2: Thank you, and and so tell me, Art, what is what does twenty twenty two look like for New Jersey Republicans?
1: Well, uh, the conventional wisdom right now is it's going to be a good year, but uh, for New Jersey Republicans, and anyone would think for national Republicans. But you know, the if we went back, you know, we're eleven months away from election day, and if we went back a year ago to uh, January of twenty twenty one, and said that. Uh, You know, Phil Murphy would almost lose. It would be, you know, within three or four points of of losing the governorship and that Steve Sweeney would um, be voted out of office. And the New Jersey Republicans would pick up several seats in the legislature. Everybody would have laughed. So right now, Republicans are feeling pretty good about their chances. Uh, I'm one of the few people who are saying don't take anything for granted Um, and, you know, keep working hard and turn over every stone. And um, the and you there's, you know, things things look good right now, but it's a long time away.
2: And, I, and you've, you've you and I have talked about this. I've been been saying this for four years. I sort of I sort of joke, uh, but, but, but I, I wasn't really trying to be funny as much that New Jersey had a vibrant two party system. It's just that Republicans weren't we're not one of them. Uh, uh, I'm, you don't agree with me on that. And I'm not so sure I agree with myself on that after after twenty twenty one.
1: Well, I I um I don't agree that New Jersey's necessarily a liberal state. You know, the uh I believe it's a purple state in terms of ideology. Um but in terms of um it's definitely a democratic state in terms of power. Um the you know the Republican party in New Jersey has has um you know it's has, has hasn't done a good job. Um winning elections. And uh, and you know that's just the fact, and I think they they could win well so if they let, didn't take things take things for granted. So and let's t- you know, let's talk about
2: where thing. let's talk about where Republicans can win. What's what's the battleground look like? I mean, we are we are you know now now looking at a map that the Democrats drew, and and despite the Republican protest, I don't know what the courts are going to do, uh, but but John Wallace picked a Democratic map. What is what does that landscape look like?
1: well I think um i I think the the, mal- the most interesting district and it's no surprise is going to be uh, the Malinowski district seven where um, you know became a lot more friendly to the Republicans. Tom kane lost by one percent um, in the old with the old map in 2020 and he's been, he's been working hard has raised a lot of money has' not raised malinowski's kind of money but malinowski hasn't even said if he's going to run
2: for re-election yet And I think that's a flip of the coin if he does or not. Um, So I sort of get the impression he is from you know if 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 no for no other reason than yesterday, Malinowski said he raised nine hundred thousand dollars in the fourth quarter. Uh, That's a that's a huge haul. That's a great fundraising performance, and he's got two point seven million dollars in the bank. It was a yeah.
1: He's he's got a lot of money. It It was and he was raising a lot of money because he know he knows he almost lost. But most of that money was raised, uh, perhaps all of it, before the map. You know, so I don't think the amount of money that he has raised is going to be the determining factor in his decision. I think it'll be um, he'll decide, you know, does he think he can win? Does he want to put himself through it? Uh, and, um, And if he does, he'll keep raising more money. And Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic machine will help him raise more money. And he'll have a competitive race. But, you know, you don't need... Two, three, four million dollars to win a congressional seat, and um, you know Tom. You know sometimes
2: Kane spent about know, six million money. last time.
1: Yeah, they spent six million, but
2: how much did Kane spend? About you know they they, they stay competitive. You talk about what the national did party they? put in; that was one of their targets. But and and Art, yeah, we look it'll still be the target. So so let's let's look at this the seven disgrace, because there been there've been a lot of moving pieces since this. Since this map came out, uh, uh, you've had you've had people moving around. Uh, Rick, Rick Maida, who was challenging the the, the 2020 Republican U.S. Senate candidate against Cory Booker was challenging Cain for the nomination. He's. He's now moving to a Middlesex, Mammoth district. Uh, assemblyman Eric Peterson, conservative assemblyman, is getting in. There's talk about Phil Rizzo moving from the 11th to the 7th. I, I don't, I don't really know if I pay as much attention to this Rizzo mania as as other people do. But is uh, is, is King going to be the nominee there? I think he will, especially
1: if Rizzo and Peterson both get in. They'll split the conservative, the you know the the far right conservative vote. And and, and Keane will get the conservatives. They'll get he'll get the establishment, and they'll get the um, the moderate Republican vote. Um, I think Kane beats Peterson in a head to head, and I think he beats Rizzo in a head to head. If if it, if it's only um if it's if it is a head to head instead of a three way. So I think Rick Mehta was getting a lot of pressure, um, probably to get out and to clear the field for um, for Tom Kane. But you know, Rick has not made a lot of friends in the um, in the Republican establishment,
2: and um, he's 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 not going to be the nominee in six. And so that's that's becoming that's right now as I see it a three way race. I mean, you had uh, you had Tom Toomey from the 11th district. He had been running against Mikey Sherrill. He now wants to run against Frank Pallone. Sue Kylie who, who won a landslide victory for re-election as a Monmouth County commissioner. Uh, last year uh, my my understanding is she's going to announce pretty soon for that race uh, and she's she's got a a real base is I mean but that's a democratic district is Frank Pallone beatable there
1: uh,
2: it's hard to say you know
1: Anna little came close in 2010 which was the last wave uh, sue's campaign that there's com- is confident that sue Kylie's campaign is confident that there's going to be a tsunami in, um, in in across America and that She'll win. But it's an uphill battle. Um, Sue Kiley, Monmouth County um, Commissioner and Deputy Director of the Monmouth County Board of Commissioners, is very likely to be the nominee. She's got the establishment support in Monmouth County. And I think I expect that she'll have it in Middlesex County as well. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that there's district shopping. Toomey grew up in the district in in Aberdeen but lives up in the 11th, I think. Uh, Rick Met has been shopping districts um, for the, for the last month, he looked at the third, he looked at the fourth, he looked at the, the, the seventh, 11th. And, you know, I think he lives in the 11th. Um, but he's, you know, he's still cleaning up his, his U S Senate campaign, um, from, from over a year ago, you know, he's, he's, he's still answering inquiries from the federal election commission and, uh, and his, his answers are not responsive. So I don't, you know, I, I think Rick is, is not doing himself any favors, uh, and you know he's Sue's, Sue's going to be the nominee because she's got the best chance against Frank Pallone. It's a heavy lift against Frank Pallone. It is. It's Sue, a tough race. Well I've mean,
2: I've been watching people try and beat Pallone for for thirty six years. It just yeah. It, you know, it,
1: and, and he's, he's,
2: he is he is one solid campaigner. He is. He's tough.
1: He's under. He's, he, people underestimate him, and. Um, he, you know, he, he's taking it seriously. He started social media advertising already, so he he's anticipating a um, a wave, a red wave. You know, what it's what the what the the campaign is going to look like in September, October, and November is anybody's guess at this point.
2: So, what uh, what about Andy Kim? I mean, work? this is that that was that was the one that everybody thought. I mean, Jack Chidarelli had won that district by by fourteen percentage points. His new district uh uh phil, phil murphy got got almost fifty one percent of the vote is is kim in i mean he's clearly in better shape there
1: well yeah uh Kim's in better shape in the um in in the third in the new third uh, assuming that map stands and i think it will um he's, he's, he's they' definitely gerrymandered that district for yeah. him and to make it more of a friendly district but fifty one percent. Is not a healthy margin getting back to Palone, I think um, Murphy only won the sixth district, the new sixth district, by 53%. So people are looking at those districts because it looks
2: competitive. People see an opportunity to um, – And this is Joe Biden, right? I mean, Congress. this is the effect of – the historical effect of a Democratic president and, and Republicans likely to pick up seats in a Democratic president's midterm.
1: And just like – um, the Democrats picked up seats in the uh, the Trump term. Exactly, you know, it's, it's, four of it's them in the district. It's a very historical trade um, trend, and the, the, it's not good for the country. But Republicans are happy about it. You know, Biden has got a problem. So let me you know, ask you. I want to ask you more problem. about the
2: th- and I want to ask you more about the third before we, because, we're, because we're running at at a time quickly as as always happens when you and I speak. This yeah. this third district it, it goes from. Bass River to Homedale, and for people who who understand Jersey terminology, it runs from Exit 50 on the Garden State Parkway to Exit 114. How is that not gerrymandering? Oh, it's, it is gerrymandering. It is. They
1: they broke. The, he was the biggest prior, the biggest priority of the Democrats to protect him. Uh, the Democrats also wanted to make the fourth district more Republican because they're tired of losing to Chris Smith. They've they've tried. Two cycles in a row now to uh, import a candidate uh, who promised to raise some money, and uh, and, and but they they don't want to deal with them anymore.
2: So Chris so, Smith's uh, district, you know, solidly Republican. No, I don't think any yeah. Democrat is is going to take that one. Uh, but Smith now has some competition in the Republican primary. Mike Crispy, who's a a, a well known uh, conservative podcaster. Uh, got in the race this week. He's he's going to challenge him. There's there's some other there's some other candidates. One of them, one of the, the candidates, got out of the race yesterday and endorsed Smith. Are you, uh, are you, are you worried about Smith's ability to keep this district?
1: Not at all. Mike, um, you know Mike Crispy's own. People are only concerned about Mike Crispy because Roger Stone is is making some money consulting for him. Um, both. Mike Crispy and Phil Rizzo should consider running in the eighth district, where they have ties. Crispy lives there, um and Rizzo has a, a church there or had a church there. And um That's a no, whole
2: nother conversation about the that church, but
1: it is a whole other <laughs> conversation about that church, which is why Rizzo really isn't a serious candidate. Yeah. And Crispy isn't really either. Um
2: I no. But you can't say that. Roger, I mean, Roger Roger Stone is is good at this. You
3: There's can't no dismiss.
2: You can't. You can't dismiss Mike Crispy's chances because he's got. You know, I, I I think he's strengthened by Roger Stone. He wouldn't even be in the race if it wasn't for Roger Stone. Roger Stone. They
1: got to know each other because he went on his podcast a couple times. But I nobody knows who Crispy is. He lost for Freeholder. Came in fourth in a four way race. And, in 2017, then left the district, moved to Weehawken. But you know, I called around today because I thought it might be, you know, because you know, I'm I'm at the tail end of the baby boom generation. My age, I started calling my friends in their 20s and and said, "Did you ever hear this guy Crispy before he declared to to move?" That he was running in, in the fourth. Yeah, said, this is going to be
2: a good know. one to watch, and our, unfortunately, our 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 times come up. But but I'll tell you, Chris Smith underestimated for for forty two years. So I would never ever count him out. I've been speaking to Art Gallagher, Republican political consultant. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you have been listening to New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.